0: Hello, beautiful people. You are listening to the communal table podcast, part of food and wine pro. I'm your host, Kat Kinsman. And, uh, this is, they're all special episodes, but today is a really particularly special episode for me because, uh, it's, we're going to be talking about our November issue, our Thanksgiving issue. And this year is unlike any other. You don't need to be told that all holidays, all celebrations, no matter which ones you celebrate, are going to look different this year. Uh, we can't all be at the table together in the same way that we usually can. Um, a lot of us have lost people and a lot of people are craving Connection and generally the best way for that to happen is over food. And because a lot of us, like I said, you know, we can't get together around that table in person and share these traditions and these stories and see those faces of, of people who we love. Uh, to me, I've selfishly assembled a virtual Thanksgiving table of some of my favorite humans in the world. Our food team. From food and wine. I I have the pleasure and the privilege of working alongside these people used to be sort of shoulder to shoulder. And uh, lately, it's been over screens and over calls. But these are the people who are behind the recipes that you have known and loved food and wine for, for, for decades. Uh, one of our guests has been in fact, part of food and wine, uh, for decades, but they are, they're the team who, uh, develop and shepherd and test and test and test all of these recipes to make sure that it is something that we are proud to have you make for your own table. And I want you to meet these people. Um, some of whom will be familiar to you and some are uh you know maybe this is the first time you've heard their voices but they're very much part of the food and wine dna we're going to have our cover boy for the november issue david mccann we're going to have our uh, director of the whole shebang, Mary Frances Heck. We're going to have Kelsey Youngman, who's uh, who I talk about every week on this podcast, because she is the person who uh, provides the mantra for Food & Wine Pro, and the incredible Josh Miller. Uh, we're all calling in from different places, and we have gathered together. Welcome to our table. Okay, the year is 1982. It's New York City, and a handsome young actor has recently moved there, and he's he's tearing it up, he's auditioning, he's reading, he's putting together all the gigs, and he happens upon a catering gig where he meets somebody who is going to be pretty influential over the course of his next 37 years years and, uh, the impact. That David McCann has had on food and wine over the past bunch of decades is, uh, inestimable. Like it is, uh, he, he's been a driving force behind the magazine. He wasn't here all of the time. He was traveling and acting and, and living his fantastic life. And we were always so, so happy when, uh, David was back in the kitchen at food and wine. And, um, this man, <laughs> I remember I met meeting him, wanting him so desperately to like me. (laughs) It took a while to win his (laughs) approval. And uh, I hope that finally happened. If nothing else, he uh, agreed to join us today. David, hi. uh,
1: Hi. It didn't take any time at all for me to fall in love with you.
0: (laughs) Oh, you're very, very good. Well, I always, uh, you know, I think all of us are... you know, just dying for your approval and respect <laughs> because of so, so many reasons, because you have culinary authority, because, uh, you know, you ran the test kitchen with an iron fist. And uh, if things were not in place, we we would know. We would feel it deep in our soul. Look from David McCann and <laughs> he would correct your behavior instantly.
1: And that actually came directly from my mother.
0: Oh, God bless that he-
1: she could lower the temperature of a room with a glance.
0: <laughs> you have good eyebrow, and uh, <laughs> and I think a lot of this has to do with the fact of uh, you know again the reason you were in uh, New York City to begin with. Can you talk about that fateful uh, catering gig where you met uh, Peter Prescott? Who, sorry, W. Peter Prescott, uh, who was the Food and Wine entertaining editor at the time.
1: It it was kind of an amazing event. Uh, my best friend, Deb Stenard, suggested that I go to work for this catering company. And I was very unhappy that she would suggest that because I think I said something like, I did not come to New York City to be a waitress. I came here to be an actor. (laughs) And she showed me a paycheck for a week in December in the 80s. And I thought, oh, okay, I guess I'm going to be a waitress."
0: I will play the role of a waiter this evening.
1: (laughs) I will. Um, And Food & Wine was doing uh, an event off-site for, I'm assuming they were advertisers. And I met this bizarre Santa Claus-like man named Peter Prescott. And he said, all right, my darlings, here's what I need you both to do. There will be three major courses and they will leave the room after each course and go to a meeting. And the three of us will completely transform the room in that time. So I didn't know what I had gotten myself into, but we changed the tables, the linens, the silver, the glasses and the decor in the room between each course. And. Peter just decided that we were loads of fun, and we could do what he asked, and that night he said, I would like the two of you to leave your catering company, and I know this is probably terribly illegal, and come and work for me at the magazine. And I was kind of in love with the man at that point, and I said, I will come to the magazine and work for you. And Deb was a better employee of the catering company and said, I can't do that. We're not supposed to do that, <laughs> uh, but I did. And uh, the magical thing about my early days at Food & Wine, because all I was doing was setting up and running uh, events in the dining room, was that at the end of the night in most catering jobs, whoever the, the host is or the caterer will sort of throw all of the leftover food into a trough and the actors get to eat it. <laughs> and Peter didn't do that. He saved ingredients uncooked. And after we finished serving for the evening, he would take us back into the kitchen, reprepare all of the food so we knew how it was prepared. He would then sit us down in the dining room serve us that food with the accompanying wines and explain why so this was the kind of culinary education you literally could not buy
0: I've just gotten and, chills. This never happens. People don't I mean, People don't treat catering staff like human beings. I've been a cater waiter yes. and people uh, just yes. you're either invisible or scorned <laughs> most of the
1: time. Absolutely. And and Peter was kind of a miraculous human well, still is a miraculous human being. And I learned so much from him. And the next thing I learned from him that I think is really important is that One of the awful things for an actor is when you have to go to your day job and and sort of sheepishly tell them that you have an acting gig and you're leaving because they don't like that. Mm -hmm. I would go in and tell Peter and the other folks at Food and Wine, they would all cheer and applaud and tell me that the day I got back to give them a call and I would be back in the test kitchen. And th- th- that's gold. That's something that also never happens.
0: Well, that also has a lot to do with the esteem that we all have for you.
1: Well, thank you. I, l- I love this magazine. It has been central to my life for just about 40 years.
0: Well, as evidenced by your Instagram feed, can we talk about <laughs> yeah. that for a second <laughs> about and people follow David, this old chef, On Instagram and like every one of those posts. So it pops up in your feed on a daily basis. I can't tell you how obsessed the digital team is with this. We freak out about everything. So, would you please explain the mission on this?
1: When this whole madness started with us having to be in our houses 24 seven, I thought, okay, I would love to do something on Instagram, but I don't have any idea what. And then I had an idea that I would photograph and post every food and wine cover since the beginning, because yes, I'm this kind of a geek. I have every issue of food and wine magazine since 1978. So I've been posting them every day and a lot of people seem to be really enjoying it and it's making me very happy. And I'm, I'm getting to take a little bit of a trip down memory lane and see how the covers changed, which tells you how food has changed, how photography has changed, sort of how the world has changed.
0: I mean, it's a, it, it is really a stunning journey through this. Uh, there are instances, there's a, a very uh, hungry looking dog on the cover of one of them that's sort of looking for a treat. Yes. There are strange yes. dolls. There are uh, really some creative plating choices on, on things and playing with scale. Um, I imagine you have a particular fondness for November 2020 cover i i know that when i saw it i i started crying um it's your dish it is did you ever in the course of this think you know what the, i'm going to ha- i'm going to be on the cover of the rolling stone as you put on your instagram did you think this would happen in, in-
1: never i it never occurred to me um the team in birmingham and the team in new york have been so incredible to me these past couple of years. I mean, all of the time, but especially these past couple of years. And when I was talking to Josh Miller, who will also be joining us, um, we started throwing around some ideas about a Gretin that wasn't quite as, you know, 17 pounds of (laughs) Gruyere and gallons of cream and four potatoes. Uh, and. We started throwing ideas back and forth and came up with the idea of root vegetables that people don't generally use a lot in this country. And celeriac is so bright and so acidic and assertive, and rutabagas are earthy and kind of smoky and a little confusing because we see these big (laughs) waxed things sitting in bins in the grocery store and we put in some potatoes so that it was a little uh, a little less terrifying <laughs> for people and i think it's really good but oh my lord i did not ever see this coming and i knew that i was the cover recipe and i knew that our editor hunter lewis was going to mention me in his from the editor column but when i saw it for the first time i'm guessing cat that i may have you beat on the tears <laughs> scale i sat on my sofa in the living room sobbing like a child i think i old. sent
0: you that cover and
1: you did. i i and didn't give me any <laughs> warning about what was in the letter
0: it's a really uh, it if you're listening to this and you didn't have this issue uh in your hand maybe you're driving <laughs> Please get it. It's, it's a love letter to this man, uh, who, who has been such a quiet force at the magazine for, for such a long time. And, and this is, you know, dare I say, overdue and, and well deserved, but you're meticulous about your food. And this particular image of this recipe really embodies so much of what I love about your particular cooking in that it is, is precise and welcoming. And beautiful. There are, I, uh, I, I'll include the link in the show notes, but I asked David to write a separate piece to go along with this about how not to be killed by your mandolin. <laughs> because my, right before that, my, actually while he was writing this, my dad ended up in the ER with a mandolin injury. And, uh, could you actually share with us your tip on how not to be, uh, bleed, bleed out from your mandolin?
1: I think there are two things that are really important. Well, probably more. I shouldn't have said two. You need to respect this blade. The great thing about it and the terrifying thing about it is how sharp it is. So the first thing I would say is always use the guard. A lot of if you watch chefs on television, they will frequently not use the guard that comes with the mandolin. And I think that's really kind of crazy, because even if you think you're paying attention, if the phone rings, all of a sudden, it's not just potatoes in the bowl, it's half of your finger. And this is not a good thing. And the other thing I would say is, uh, I learned something from a a woman who worked at Food & Wine for many years and taught me More about cooking and more about friendship than most people in my life. Marsha Kiesel, who used to run the test kitchen. Marsha said this about knives, but it holds true with this. When it comes time to wash your mandolin, wash it. Don't do anything else. Don't ever put it in the sink because you'll forget and reach your hand into a sink full of soapy water. And again, there goes your finger. But just do that one task, complete that task, and then it's fine. Then it's all done and you're safe. Um, I think mandolins are a great tool, but you have to respect them. They're, they're so sharp. That you need to be and careful. And if
0: you're making this dish, you're going to be deploying yours a lot. And uh, there's there's sure. another thing with uh, with this dish. And actually, I, I happen to know that it goes with just about every dish at your house because uh, you wrote a beautiful piece uh, for Foodandwine.com some months back about why it's important to set the table, to light candles, to really make a moment of the meal. And now. More than ever, uh, could you talk about why that matters?
1: I think, and and this is this is one of those. Oh well, yeah, he's old, so of course he feels this way. But I I don't love the fact that we eat on the fly, that we rush through meals, that we don't take the time to set the table. I I get that we're all very busy. But uh, my husband and I have been together for almost 43 years and we have never, except when we were in different cities because both of us are in the theater, we have never not sat down to dinner in a dining room at the table with cloth napkins, a real place setting and candles since we moved into the house we live in in Yonkers, we have never used electric lights in the dining room. It's all candles, and that's for every meal. I I think gathering with people you love at the table is one of the most important things you can do to show that you love people. And I, I I find it hard, especially right now, Because I can't entertain the people that I love. One, my husband, because we're here together. But I like to entertain. And it's not because we have the most money in the world. It's because people like to be at our table because we take care of them there. And I think that's what's setting the table, setting the mood. And taking care with the food you give people. And I, I'm i not saying it all has to be fancy French stuff. I think I'm just as happy with a big gigantic bowl of pasta, but I still set the table. I still pull out w- wine glasses, crystal glasses that I either inherited from my parents or from Charlie's mother or um, ones that we were given when we married. I think think those things make people or allow people to know that you love them and then you sit at the table for 2 hours or so it doesn't actually matter in terms of your diet what you're eating because you sit there for 2 hours so you digest you talk there's there's an exchange going on and i I really think it's something that is missing in the world today, and I'm an advocate for making it come back from being. I, I can't
0: imagine a greater gift than getting to sit at your table and folks who are listening. Again, follow David on Instagram at this old chef and you'll you'll get a sense of even more of what that is like. And we're gonna bring David back for the last uh, segment here. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: You are welcome. May I say one more thing oh, before I go Oh, you're coming back, away? but sure. <laughs> no, no. Um, the I think this is one of the, not just because it's me. I think this is one of the most beautiful covers I've seen at Food and Wine in quite a while. The the stylists in Birmingham, the food stylist, the prop stylist, and the photographer outdid themselves. It's so beautiful. I mean, I liked. The pictures that I sent them of what I made, but it's really an old sock compared (laughs) to the beautiful thing that they do. And folks
0: are going to get to uh, meet some of the the people behind that as well. So I'm so excited. So I was asking our next guest who, uh, you know, I talked to in some form, every day. What is your official title? She said, food lady, but we're going to go with actual title, senior food editor, Mary Frances Heck, who, uh, you know, I've known her for years, and then wonder of wonders, we got to start working together, which is a thorough delight, and I couldn't be more excited about this November issue. Mary Frances, welcome. Thank you so much, Kat. It's really nice to be here with you. Oh my gosh. Okay. Let us dive into this issue. Thanksgiving, going to be strange this year. And it's, you know, I I know they probably had to tear up a lineup and revisit it (laughs) in light of how people are actually going to be entertaining uh, this year. And we're going to talk specifically um, in a conversation that will involve my favorite word spatchcock Uh, (laughs) but there is a whole bounty of delights throughout this magazine we have uh, as we were talking about in another segment uh david mccann's gorgeous gratin of root vegetables what else is on the menu
2: oh my gosh we have got quite the lineup for our november issue um a lot of it is celebratory food. I would also argue that many of these dishes are ma- are gonna make wonderful weeknight dinners or side dishes. Um, and and we went all out on the sides this year. Um, definitely of note, a couple of Justin Chappell's recipes are real keepers. He's got a green bean casserole with almost burnt almonds and he toasts those almonds to within an inch of their life and they bring big flavor to a traditional feeling bean casserole. Um, I'm also really excited about some of the leftovers recipes. We actually have a whole feature all about recipes uh, for what to do you know the day after
0: And <laughs> not <just> the sandwich <laughs> not just stick it all in some bread. Not
2: just the same. I mean, we do have we do have a couple of nods to sandwich land uh, with a stuffing falafel pita and a turkey French dip idea. Um, but we also are talking about mashed potato and latte. In turkey bone broth. I mean, come on. That sounds like as good as the real deal. My toes just curled.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm flipping through the magazine right now. I'm seeing, well, this Diwali feature is just yeah. glorious light. And uh, can you talk through that for a moment? Because it, it, I wish we could do a whole other segment about this because it is just one of the loveliest things I've seen in the magazine in years.
2: Absolutely. So uh, we have a an amazing feature this month um, about Diwali, the um, Indian festival that happens in November. And um, Kushbu Shah wrote this story, our restaurant editor, about Hital Vasavada's um, menu. She's a she's uh, got an amazing cookbook and blog, um, and she's a, an incredible recipe developer. I mean, her food is beautiful. I've never. I sort of encountered someone who, who incorporates so much color and texture into their food. And so she has come up with a, a really celebratory menu um, of sweets. And, and there's a really great chaat in here that's a, that's a hash brown chaat. So um, if you've never had chaat before, it's a, a riot of flavor and texture and color. and It's an Indian snack um, or category of snacks, really. Um, and I think this hash brown chaat is a great entry point for anybody who is looking to explore um, this sort of myriad of flavors in a dish.
0: And I read um, there are also sourcing notes in this recipe about where to yeah. get fresh, gorgeous spices from places like Burlap and Barrel and Diaspora. And uh, yeah, I <laughs> know what's on my table in the next few days. You know, and Kat, actually, if, if I could just take one moment and just point out that
2: um, we're in an age of, we're in like a renaissance of spices. And so if, if you haven't uh, refreshed your spice cabinet since you know the pandemic hit, this is a great time to do it. A lot of these companies that are a little bit newer to the game and doing direct-to-consumer online sales of spices are have put together amazing um, gift packs for the holidays, where you could get you know six or twelve or eighteen different spices or spice mixes. And um, two of the companies that you just mentioned, Burlap and Barrel and Diaspora Co, are among some of these excellent distributors of, of fairly sourced spices. And so I'd really encourage folks to check those out and, uh, It'll improve all of your cooking, not just your Diwali sweets.
0: Oh, I put in a Spicewala order yesterday once I saw Pretty Mysteries' uh, new collection for them. The tins are adorable. And I know just from knowing her cooking, I know those are going to be delicious. I just got a shipment from uh, Spiceology with all of Isaac Toops' custom spice blends. And uh, more and more chefs, you know, people are having to do a lot of side hustles right now while restaurants aren't open. So chefs are really working directly with Purveyors on uh, a lot of these, you know, both individual spices and spice blends. So you are absolutely right; they were in a renaissance time for that. And in the show notes, we can definitely put some of those uh, those sources because people need people need to make these recipes and make them how they uh, deserve to be tasted. I love. Oh my gosh! And
2: it, it's just the, it's the one thing that's so simple to do to improve all of your cooking, and that is to just source better spices. Um, they're not particularly expensive, and and they last for months, so I really would encourage folks to check out those uh, those sites. Oh my
0: gosh! Can we move to dessert for a second here? <laughs> oh, we had Kelly Fields on as a guest uh, recently, and this oh, this is a this is such a team up. This is legends coming together. Oh my gosh! Um, I,
2: I it was a star studded affair. I'll tell you that much. Um, to have them work together on these recipes was a dream come true as a food editor. And um, I, I should also give a massive shout out to Kate Headings, who was the, she's my predecessor, but she's still very much out in the world, doing a million things in food. And she um, worked with Kelly on her recent cookbook that came out this fall. Um, And she recommended this story to us and helped to produce it. So, um. Uh, it, it and and it shows, and it's sort of wonderful delivery.
0: She's so ridiculously talented, and I'm paging through this. And for all you pumpkin spice fans out there, there are <laughs> pumpkin spice snickerdoodles. There are lemon chiffon pies with saltine cracker crust. There are th- thumbprint cookies with white chocolate espresso ganache. Oh my gosh! Uh, with corn cornmeal cake trifle with sabayon and candied kumquats. And if y'all haven't gotten Kelly's incredible new uh, uh baking book what are you doing with your life <laughs> it is give it to somebody for for the holidays like pick that up instantly also the reissue of claudia fleming's book which is a classic comeback to life and it's uh we're living in a good cookbook era too <laughs> and, we really are we really are oh my gosh what are we missing what else is on the menu here um well, oh,
2: I, if I can share one um, that I'm really excited about, and I actually got to help report our, uh, our one and only turkey this Thanksgiving Oh, yay. is from none other than famed pit master Rodney
0: Scott. Okay, so Rodney Scott, I've known him for a long time. And uh, bef- before, as he was sort of becoming famous, but he was still sort of the shy guy, uh, as shy as Rodney gets, he would walk into a room and say, Are you ready for the thunder? (laughs) Enter rooms like that. I've always loved his energy, his barbecue. I got to go to the, uh, you know, original and still standing outpost of his family's barbecue business that has been around for 40 some years at this point. Um, That is, they're individually wrapped slices of layer cake made by the local church ladies. It is such a special place and he has gone on to world domination. Absolutely. Um, and you know his
2: signature style of barbecue is whole hog barbecue and uh, which involves uh, smoking a whole hog for over 12 hours over hardwood coals and um, letting it cook really sm- slowly in these enormous smokers. and the only, the only thing they do to the meat is to, to season it with a very sort of classic uh, barbecue rub that's a, a little spicy and a little sweet, and then they uh, mop it. And at the restaurant, they use full-size floor mops. Obviously, they're clean and new and intended only for the sauce. But they dunk a full-size floor mop into a five-gallon bucket of his signature vinegar sauce and douse that pig with so much sauce. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's probably a, a couple of gallons of sauce soaked into a, a pig. However, for, for our issue, he showed us how to make a turkey in the same style using um, your grill at home. And he managed to get a quart of sauce soaked into this
0: turkey. My, So this is the, like the juiciest turkey you have ever had.
2: It is the juiciest turkey, but it is also um, unbelievable because there is no pre-seasoning. You do not have to brine this thing. You do not need to set it in your refrigerator for several days in advance. You unwrap a thawed turkey, you cut out you either cut it down the breast or cut it down the back, but leave the backbone in. That's a big tip from him because it's got so much flavor. And then you sprinkle it with the rub and put it right on the grill. It is from from you could come in from the store and have it on the grill in 30 minutes. What? And uh, it is it is unbel- I mean, it's got to be thawed, so remember to do that.
0: But- <laughs> so how how far out should you back up uh, with a thawing if if it is frozen? Yeah.
2: Oh, folks, folks, you, you got to give yourself time. You got to give that turkey time to thaw. And because if you rush the thaw process, it's going to show up in the eventual cooked meat. It'll it'll be a little tougher and drier um, if you rush thawing a turkey. So um, that's actually a great question, Kat. It
0: really, if
2: try to get that bird thawing like Sunday or Monday. To cook it Thursday.
0: Yeah. And, you know, thank goodness, though, you mentioned that this doesn't need brining or anything. Cause I think a lot of people were sitting with these sort of like gross buckets of brine in, <laughs> like out in their fridges. Uh, and who can spare that space, really? Like for, you know, you 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 hit
2: the nail on the head. And so, what I love about this recipe is you don't have to use a high tech smoker, and and we're not asking you to fry, which which is a you know a good way to burn your house down. I'm told. Um, you you can just do this on any grill. We used a big green egg, and you could use a kettle grill if you wanted to. Um, but you're freeing up the oven, so the turkey is outside. It's on the grill. Uh, it's really passively cooking. You don't have to check it too often or anything, and then you can be inside, and the oven is totally freed up for everything else.
0: That is, I mean, that's always my biggest thing with uh, Thanksgiving. It's just the timing of everything. I, I, personally, am on team deep fry. Uh, for the, I have an, I have an indoor <laughs> turkey fryer. So what? Oh, <gasps> yeah. It was, uh, it was a PR thing. I was sent some years back. But the thing, the thing is, once you start once you have that oil hot, it is impossible not to try to, uh, deep fry absolutely everything
2: oh
0: oh yeah so uh what was the oh stuffed puppies is what my colleague sarah at and i came up with some years back where we were basically making the turducken of sides so i forget what we had in the center but it was mashed potatoes and it was stuffing and it was cranberry and we put them all in in balls and deep fried them and they are so crazy delicious Highly recommend. Wow. Highly recommend. Wow. But also in, uh, this gives you an opportunity if you're using this technique when you're talking about how you open up the turkey. Hey, Mary Francis, what's that called? Spatchcock. Spatchcock. <laughs> I love that word so much. I had a necklace made that says spatchcock. <laughs> so oh my gosh, Kat, you have the best food necklaces. I try. If uh, So if you could just explain for a sec what the benefit of spatchcocking yeah, absolutely. So, um, so when you
2: spatchcock a turkey, it is uh, it, it's also referred to sometimes as butterflying. And so, what you're you're doing is essentially is taking a very sharp knife, or you could also use a pair of poultry shears, and you are cutting the turkey in half um, through one part of it. So, uh, you could do it through the backbone, or on either side of the backbone, removing the backbone. That's the traditional way to spatchcock, and that's probably how most people would do it. Um, but Rodney is really adamant about not, um, not removing the backbone. And so, uh, for, for our recipe, he splits the turkey down the breast, like right through the breastbone, um, flattening it that way. And he finds that that is a easy, easy way to manipulate it on the grill. Um, so you can actually turn it with, you know, a pair of tongs without the whole thing falling apart. Um, And then at the restaurant, sometimes he'll just split it down the back, but just along one side of
0: the backbone and just leave it intact. Mm. And you want to save that backbone and all those bones and make some gumbo afterward.
2: If it survives, because he was talking about it just as a cook's treat. So I would have to advocate as the cook, I'd have to advocate for the
0: cook's treat. See, I am absolutely like, I'm the one who makes the whole chicken in my family. And that backbone is mine. (laughs) <laughs> and, but that's like on chickens and stuff. But I, I have a dear friend uh, in uh, New Orleans, Pablo Johnson, who, uh, call, who's who been dubbed gumbo claws because he goes around to people's <laughs> houses after Thanksgiving, collects the backbones and the various bones and returns it to people with uh, mason jars full of turkey gumbo after uh, for the holidays, which I think is a really beautiful thing because you want to use every bit of this. And I know in the, in this next segment, we are going to talk about what to do with all those, those leftovers, but Mary Francis, Mary Francis, how many times did you have to make and test this dish? Well, um, I mean, if you count, so
2: I was, I got super lucky and, uh, pandemic aside, I masked up and was actually able to go to Rodney Scott's barbecue and watch him make this turkey. And so, um, we got to witness it firsthand. And if you haven't seen his uh, recent chef's table episode, it's it's an awesome um, kind of background of his story. but so we got we got a firsthand account, and we don't always get to do that. And what it does is it it makes sure that we are able to capture every single detail in the cooking process of a recipe. Um so when we have the opportunity to get in the kitchen with a chef, it's just it really brings it to life for us. Um, and so we were able to come back to the test kitchen and, run through it a few times and really it, it's about all about adapting it for the home grill as opposed to the um, sort of commercial size smokers that they're using at the restaurant. So um, you know, we, we probably tested this um, you know, including up and in, up until the photo shoot probably eight or nine times. Um, but we were, we got super lucky because he specifies using a butterball Turkey and even though we're producing these stories out of season, A few months in advance, we were able really uh, easily able to find a butterball. And um, actually, I think this is a recipe that's going to be a keeper, uh, not just around the holidays, but also sort of for tailgating or um, Easter, anytime you have a crowd over and you want to make them a really delicious main course. Oh,
0: my gosh. I am ridiculously excited to try this out. as As you know, I am a lover of smoke, and I, <laughs> I, I just actually assembled my new grill uh, last weekend, and I cannot wait to. What'd you get? Congratulations! Oh, thank you so much. I drive a Char Griller Duo with a side firebox. <laughs> Ooh, beep beep! Nice. <laughs> and I, I know you have a collection in uh, your yard as well. <laughs> I have a fleet. Yes, you do. You got licenses for all those. (laughs) Yep. Oh my gosh. Mary Frances, thank you so much. And we're going to be bringing you back uh, at the end to go through our our, uh, Thanksgiving lightning round. Awesome. Thanks so much, Kat. Okay, we all know it. Turkey is incredible. Love it. Beautiful. Uh, And you know, there are all these great things, uh, about this particular meal, but we're all in it for the sides. <laughs> I mean, really to me, when I think about Thanksgiving, I think about, uh, the collard greens that I make for, for meals. Uh, my husband brings a beautiful squash casserole from Eastern Carolina. And, uh, we're always, you know, it's, you know, sometimes the whole thing is polished off. I have seen, uh, many trays of that squash casserole be just eaten in a, in a heartbeat. Um, but generally, there are some uh, things that are left over, and they're even better the next day. And one of the things that I really is- I <laughs> I just love this team if you can't tell already i really love this team while i haven't gotten to work side by side with josh miller because he is on our birmingham crew i have uh, gotten to be in the kitchen with kelsey youngman a whole bunch and uh she is the person we look to to keep us all honest about no food waste and uh, she was instrumental in making sure that our our kitchen and the whole building at work was uh composting and saving everything Come on, Kelsey and Josh. What are the the sides that are essential to your table? How did you come up with all of these recipes for the leftovers? What time is dinner? All of these things.
3: Oh, hi, Kat. It's so nice to talk to you. I really feel like we're gathering around a table together, all remotely in our own little corners. So.
0: (laughs) I know. I'm like I'm staring at uh, sort of. The, there's the software we upload this th- from, and I'm looking at all of your names on there, and I would just wish I could raise a glass with every one of you. Oh, cheers! Cheers! Hey, Josh, how you? D- Josh, you are in Birmingham. I
4: am way down here in the south.
0: Okay, you, and you're on Hurricane Wash? Watch. Watch.
4: Yeah, cloudy <laughs> here, but not too tempestuous right now.
0: Oh my gosh! So, if you could walk us through your favorite sides of here and this beautiful term that who came up with chef
3: <laughs> I, I have to believe that was Josh. His brain works in amazing ways. Well,
4: I don't know if it's amazing, sometimes quirky, but yeah, I'm a, my father is a huge, uh, he's huge into puns. And so, um, yeah, it just came to me. We had renamed the story a couple times and it just popped in my head on a run one day and I was like, aha, chef And that's what it became. So yeah.
0: I love it Through So how do you, uh, first of all, I've always been curious about this. How do you uh, bounce this back and forth via uh, your different cities that you're in?
4: Yeah, a lot of it being in different cities, you know, we'll hop on Slack um, and just like instant message each other with some ideas. And a lot of times that's, you can be in your own little bubble and you won't know if something really rings true or if it's just funny to you. So it's real nice to have a, a big crew of trusted friends who we work with and be like, okay, am I crazy or is this funny? And Fortunately, we're all pretty honest with each other and be like, "eh, it's not so good," or "that's genius," or sometimes you just <laughs> jump into it because um, you know you just run with it, and then if it sticks, it sticks. So.
0: I'm, I mean, I'm just right now. I just flipped open. I think it is an indication of any sort of good issue about like what it automatically opens to now. And of course, it opens to gratin all the time. David, I know you're listening still. Yes, we're, it flips open to Gratan more than anything, but I'm looking at this mac and rack. Good job. Okay, all- another
3: genius, punny name. This is Josh's <laughs> recipe and it's quintessential Josh in that it's perfectly named, but also the comforting, delicious food that everyone actually wants well, to eat. Well, I have to
4: like, give a little bit of shout out to Mary Frances, because she actually ter- termed Mac and Rack. Um, and it actually, the idea kind of came from her because she went on this fabulous trip to France about a year ago, I think, maybe over Thanksgiving last year, Thanksgiving holidays. And she came back talking about all these gorgeous cheese dinners she had up in the Alps and like, you know, popping a whole wheel of raclette into a little basically a, uh, an iron French micro- table side microwave that was not a microwave, but like a little oven and just all the amazing um, dishes that came from that. And that really inspired this because I was like, okay, I was kind of charged with coming up with an, a new take on mac and cheese, um, which is always something I have to do at my house uh, when I go home to Jackson, Mississippi with my family, um, because my mother insists on having, you know, a mac and cheese for the boys who are like, 25 now so they're not even kids but they're kids in her head so she has to have mac and cheese and so I'm always trying to come up with something different and so anyway I was thinking about the Ray Clef that Mayor Francis talked about and I was like ooh mac and rack and so started going down that road and uh, did a little research and found out that there was indeed like um, a Swiss macaroni dish and I'm gonna butcher this pronunciation because that's kind of my thing Uh, but uh, let's say apple Close enough. Uh, we can have all our Swiss fans, um, you know, reach out and, and heckle me, please. But um, so the Swiss dish, Swiss dish, um, is it's like a macaroni dish made with uh, you know Gruyere and different cheeses and potatoes, and in um, some iterations it's served with applesauce, which you know I knew we could never get applesauce and macaroni and cheese into this issue, but um, I thought, okay, well, let's take a note from that and pickle some onions in apple cider vinegar because, you know, with a rich mac and cheese, and especially with something like raclette that is so rich and creamy, like having that little bite, that little acidic tang really kind of cuts through the richness. And so that's what happened. We made a classic white sauce, add in your Gruyere, your raclette, and then top it with these pickled onions and then bake it. And it's, there it is, mac and cheese reimagined.
1: Oh my
0: god, I love this so much, and I'm I'm just in so enjoying this uh, handbook section. And by the way, y'all, food team, congratulations on your IACP win for handbook. This is huge and amazing, and all the folks whose voices uh, people are hearing right now. Um, you know, These are the people who are behind this award-winning section. I'm looking through handbook. I see braised greens with crispy garlic and miso butter. I see rustic bread stuffing with Swiss chard and chestnuts. Uh, can we talk about these sides? And we, can we talk about stuffing versus dressing versus the very personal, uh, wet bread dish <laughs> that tends to have a place on the table at Thanksgiving. If you, if you two want to hash it out.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think, um, Kelsey, I don't want to speak for you, but you know, I, for some reason I always assume you're a vegetarian, but you're not a vegetarian, right?
3: No, but I was a vegetarian and vegan for years. And I actually went to a predominantly vegetarian cooking school. So I tend to try to make every recipe vegetarian. And then people remind me that We need to include some meat here and there, Um, but all my kind of favorite dishes and uh, home recipes for the holidays are vegetarian. So this section just thrills me and it includes a lot of really great kind of sneaky pantry staples um, that add so much flavor, so much savoriness to these sides, but also work year round. So you'll never have, you know, two thirds of a bottle left and not know what to do with it.
4: Right um sp- speaking of two-thirds of the bottle left that's kind of one thing i want to talk about was the liquid aminos that are going on in the sweet potatoes so they're justin chappell's just by the way his mad genius tips are always super awesome but i think he really delivered in this section because the whole idea with the section is like how to deliver umami without leaning on your your bacon your your meaty shortcuts uh soy sauce all these things and especially in uh the sweet potatoes, like, you know, liquid aminos, which have, which I think is probably one of the least sexy food names. <laughs> it's just like, oh, I'll have some liquid aminos. That sounds delicious. Uh, (laughs) you know it's such a
0: part of like when uh when you're eating paleo everybody's on there about the you know aminos and i'm like what the hell are you talking about and i realize (laughs) like oh it's a soy alternative because right right uh, and i get
4: it and like i i actually have baggage with liquid aminos because like twice a year or something thankfully it's got to be like once a year my husband decides that he wants to go on whole 30 and i'm like son of a mm." And so, that, well, I'm not have to cook all of these things. But I did find that liquid amino's really are kind of quite delicious. It's you know, it's very soy adjacent. You've got that rich umami. It's a little bit sweeter. I don't know. I just you know, it's something that I'll buy now and keep in the pantry because it it, it is quite delicious. I just wish that they would uh, get all the the vegans back to the drawing board of the brainstorming table and like rename it and let's brand it something different. But
0: yeah, we need a rebrand there
3: for
4: sure.
0: <laughs> It's, I mean, it sounds so sciencey. Yeah. Um, But better than amino here is miso. (laughs) And I'm looking at these braised greens with crispy garlic and miso butter. And for me, greens are the essential at any holiday, actually any meal, uh, any uh, sort of holiday meal for me. I actually wrote about this in a piece for Food and Wine last year about um, a woman who we called Mama Diva, who made the best greens on earth and uh, sort of really taught me that as a staple holiday dish. But always in her method, there's a big old pork hock in there and here they are. Um, There's, there's, there's no pork present. There's miso to bring that umami in there. And I just, I'm, I'm staring at this and thinking like, I'm probably not going to give my, give up my like holiday method because it is something that and we'll move to Cheftovers in a second. It is something where you can use that pot liquor afterward for absolutely right. everything and poach eggs in it, mix soups. Uh, I take shots of it. It's really good for you. Um, but this one is a beautiful uh, braised miso butter greens that, and that, that uh, crunched up garlic that is just making me swoon looking at
4: it. So
0: good. Well, I
3: I just, I have to give a shout to miso here because it's not only packing that like fermented savory punch that, that brings, I'm not going to say that you're going to confuse it with pork, but it really adds that meaty flavor, but it also adds texture. It's like a little bit creamy, a little bit thickening in the body of this. So one of the great things about that ham hock enriched pot liquor is the collagen in the ham hock. That's thickening the pot liquor and adding um, not just the meaty flavor, but a great texture. Um, And we're mimicking that here with miso. So, I mean, it's a really great Mad Genius tip because it's a kind of a one-two punch.
0: And before, I mean, that is brilliant. I'm going to be using this. And I, y'all teach me so much every month, actually every day, but also every month. I'm always like yelling out to the food team on Slack, like, hey, and asking probably very obvious questions. And they are always incredibly kind answering me. Um, but before we move on to that, I want to shout out to Vegan Bobka for just a second here because oh my gosh, it, this is brilliant. It is beautiful. Whoever wants to go on, on vegan uh, vegan pesto babka, savory babka, hello. I just have to shout
3: out Angela Garbash here. She is the pastry chef who generously contributed um, this recipe. She has some shops in Lincoln, Nebraska, Goldenrod Pastries. Um, and what I love about her food is she calls it diet inclusive. Um, it isn't about being you know, maybe on your high horse about what you eat or don't eat, but welcoming everyone to your table and making sure that part of that, um, part of that welcome, part of that conversation isn't about what you can't eat, why you shouldn't be there, why you're struggling, but, um, putting out something for everyone. So they feel through your conversation, through your hospitality and through your food that you want them to be there. Um, but also this is just good for everyone. (laughs) It's just delicious and beautiful. Um, her pesto has mixed fresh herbs, walnuts, baby arugula, garlic. You really won't miss the parm here. It's so savory, so flavorful and fresh. Um, and it's gorgeous. It's a twisty babka.
0: And I'm imagining like the world's best bread pudding made out of this. Right. I mean, that is an ultimate leftover, uh, Okay. I'm looking at the Chef over section right here. Which of you beautiful geniuses came up with cranberry feels forever?
4: <laughs> that was me again. I'm sorry. Josh. <laughs> you know, full disclosure, Kat, I was actually really, I clapped when I did that because I was like, it was the cheesiest thing ever. And I did not think it was going to come through, but I made myself giggle. And I was like, okay, well, if anybody else thinks this funny, of course that you you never get married to the headlines or blurbs in this business because like everybody's got an opinion and that's cool. But when something comes through like this, I, I actually, I can't believe it, it made it in because I was, I was really excited about it. And I was like way too cheesy, <laughs> but it happened. So.
0: I, I absolutely love this and this uh, opening page. It's a riot of color. Uh, that. um, I wish, I, I mean, I'm about to stuff these pages in my face because they're all these bitter greens with croutons in them. And let's let's walk through this for a second. We have some sweet potato pancakes.
4: Yes, absolutely. I think the amazing thing about all of these recipes is like, they really celebrate the effort that you put into Thanksgiving dinner in the first place. and it, And it kind of just piggybacks on the fact that like, it's one day of eating, but it's not just that one day. So much goes into it ahead of time, and then so much can come uh, from it afterward that you can just keep celebrating. Because every dish that that you make for Thanksgiving, you know, there's hours spent in it. So it's like, why, you know, why just reheat a plate of leftovers? you so can take those your grandmother's really great mashed potato, homemade mashed potatoes, or their your great grandmother, or is your uh, yeah, your great grandmother's um, you know, candied sweet potato casserole, and repurpose that into something that's so amazing. That's like Douglas Williams, um, those candied sweet potato pancakes. I mean, I feel like move over Starbucks, like pumpkin spice latte, it's got nothing on candied sweet potato pancakes. I feel like that is the new PSL right there. It's just.
0: Oh my gosh. And we have, and on this, <laughs> this call, um, it should be noted that Mary Frances Heck literally wrote the book on sweet potato uh, cooking. So for these to get past her, these have got to be really good pancakes. Absolutely.
4: <laughs> and they're so fun because you can top them with pretty much anything. We did a, a granola, but I mean, just anything you feel like, um, it's just amazing. But everything else in this the story, it's like Thanksgiving, at least at my house, the the flavor profile is kind of it's rich, it's heavy, it's it's savory, but there's not a lot of acid that comes to the party, and there's not a lot of brightness and not a lot of bitterness. So, so many recipes in this feature kind of highlight those things. They kind of like snack your palate awake and just kind of get you excited about eating this food that um, that you spent so much time on. Um, just kicking off with cranberry fills forever with this uh, this uh, the the salad, the bitter green salad with the Aleppo vinaigrette. I mean, you've got like these bitter greens and this like this tart, tart vinaigrette made from leftover cranberry sauce, which there's always leftover cranberry sauce at the table. You know, it's like everybody gets a spoonful and then you're like, okay, well I made, you know, a quart of cranberry sauce. What the heck am I going to do with it? <laughs> you, know, always...
0: you need a few spoonfuls and that's, and that's about kind of...
4: it. Yeah. So this is a great use for it. And then um, Aleppo pepper something I keep around all the time. I feel like I need to be a part of the like Aleppo pepper, like uh, publicity board because I use it in pretty much every dish because it's mild heat you know it's fruity it's peppery but it's not like crushed red pepper flakes that kind of can easily blow your palate off um but yeah if, if you're not if you if you haven't been to your local middle eastern market and gotten some aleppo pepper keep it in your drawer it's it's an amazing ingredient um but you know mayor francis she talked about the agnolotti earlier with that rich turkey bone brodo i mean you cannot go wrong with that it's just one of those like winter day or just cold cold crisp days and you have this the soup that is just, I mean it just it satisfies your soul is so rich.
0: can I talk to this uh, brilliant tip about using store bought fresh lasagna yeah. sheets to make the annulati because you might be looking at that thinking, like, I don't know how to make right. pasta and I sure can't make it make it like best new chef developer still exactly. Joseph. But anyone can do that with fresh
4: lasagna, lasagna sheets. Such a, such a good tip. So true. But also I will say to readers to not be scared of pasta dough. I have, I have been like on team, like terrified of making pasta dough. And in the past week I've made ravioli twice, um, with fresh pasta dough, like on the counter with a pile of flour and whisking eggs into it, like an Italian grandmother. And I have, I'm probably 70% over my pasta fears at this point. So to be continued, but, um
0: and i and really there was a recent feature in food and wine that made half of the digital team buy pasta rollers <laughs> because it looked so achievable and gorgeous and it's like super layered and really beautiful and you know again i think so many people have during quarantine have bought pasta right. rollers so get on get on a, that a train gambler, yeah, and I'm looking at these uh, fala- these stuffing falafel pitos with tahini oh, yeah. gravy, and oh, my God. and I'm i hearing tahini and gravy together in a sentence, and just no, oof. it's so
4: wonderful. I mean, just I, I've been cooking with tahini a lot here lately. Uh, just like adding it into like I, I made a steak sauce with it the other day, and I um I can't remember what oh it goes into my granola. Like the bitter flavor is such an underrated flavor, and I think here it just it provides that counterpoint that takes gravy to this whole nother level. And then you've got these like sesame-crusted um, stuffing bites that are, you know, your faux falafel situation that's happening here. Um, it's just such a... Faux falafel, Josh? Yes, ma'am. Um, I can't help it. you got <laughs> you got to stop me. Um, but it's just, I don't know. This is the way I want to eat after Thanksgiving. After like traditional dishes, which are wonderful. It's nice to like, I mean, my first thing I always go to is like, I need a taco. I need sushi. I need something... That is different than what I've been having, and I think all of these recipes really deliver that 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 difference for you.
0: Oh yeah, and we've got a turkey and butternut squash lasagna with crispy sage from Pasta Goddess Sarah Grunenberg. I'm just looking at this thing, and uh, I want to take a nap on top of this thing.
4: <laughs> you might have to take a nap after you have it, but it's so good, so. Good. Oh
0: my god, and oh my gosh, and creamy mashed potato soup with dashi. Now that sounds like beautiful oh okay and it's got milk not heavy cream this looks you hear creamy and you think something's going to be heavy this looks light and gorgeous
4: absolutely it's definitely not as heavy as you when you think of potato soup you think of something that's super stodgy you know like you got bacon on you got cheddar and all these things you're just like woof but this is really just the dashi really does kind of add that savory backbone to it but it's it's a light and kind of velvety luscious soup without just like weighing you down
0: and Kelsey, I'm gonna make I'm gonna do a terrible thing to you right now. Make you pick a favorite child. <laughs> what? Which of these sides? Oh. Would just what is the thing that is going to be on your table? Oh my goodness, this is really cruel.
3: This, I feel like I'm. Oh my gosh. Well, okay, um, it's
0: better than that meme that's going around right now, which is one of these has to go because we will never do that. These are all keepers, every last one of them. Some are just more like. They just speak to your heart. <laughs> <laughs> Some of them just call
3: to you. Um, I think, oh my goodness. Well, I'm definitely I'm definitely doing the braised greens with crispy garlic and miso butter. I'm absolutely making this um, cranberry fields forever, which is what I will call the salad now because it's too perfect. <laughs> um, I've got to say something I love about these cheftovers, echoing what Josh was saying is, Sometimes we feel like Thanksgiving or a a holiday that we're celebrating isn't the day to branch out, isn't the day to bring in um, a dish people aren't familiar with because we want to find comfort in those classics. And maybe the days after, you can pull inspiration here and you can be a little creative in the kitchen and you can bring in um, this acid and bitterness and heat and something a little different. Um, So you can please your family, everyone around your table and yourself. Um, But... I can't wait to make these. I, I think I've got to also do these falafel. I'm kind of envisioning for non-traditional Thanksgiving this year, I'm going to make some of um, Hetal's dishes from the Diwali story. Maybe the hush brown chaat instead of mashed potatoes. Maybe the Burfi bark as part of my dessert bar. I kind of am envisioning pulling a few dishes from each of our features um, and going around the world for Thanksgiving.
0: I think that is a perfect, perfect way to think of these sides and let's bring everybody back to the party. Okay. You don't have a table this good and not try to get the guests to linger for a little bit longer. I'm, you know, as we've all been in isolation, I've just been greedy for company of, uh, the, these people who I love and respect. And even if I haven't always worked in the same city as them, there's such a presence in my life. And I can't, uh, like I was saying, I'm, you know, I'm looking at my screen with uh, these, these people on it and I can't think of a a better table. So uh, we're going to finish out the meal here with a few questions this is (laughs) the food and wine hotline let's say i wish i had actually taken questions from viewers maybe on day of we could uh, you know answer things via social yeah not to put you to work (laughs) or anything but uh who knows um but i want to ask uh each one of you and you know fire away um what is in your glass on thanksgiving and is it a boozy holiday for you
1: Well. I will certainly jump in on that one. Um, it is a moderately boozy holiday, but the thing that has to be there for me is a Pinot Noir.
0: Mm, why is that? For my husband, it's a Chateau Neuf de Pop. So I'm curious.
1: Uh, I I find the little tiny bit of sweetness that comes through on most Pinots works with all of the different things that are on a traditional table without anything jarring the other mm. the other choice could be champagne but i'm not that rich
0: <laughs> i think you deserve all the champagne <laughs> you're a co- you're a cover model come on
1: <laughs> yeah, baby baby, baby.
0: <laughs> whoever is listening to this and wants to send david some champagne
1: he <laughs> <laughs> will gladly accept it
0: send him a dm on instagram <laughs> and uh, and send it on over to him kelsey what's in your glass so
3: I'm going to say a lot of water because I'm cooking all day in the kitchen and my family's not a super boozy family. So we're going to have maybe some, some sparkling water, jazz it up. And then with dessert, plenty of champagne. And by plenty, I mean a glass, a glass and a half. Um, we are, we're a pretty sober bunch.
1: Kelsey, Kelsey, Kelsey.
3: <laughs> Unless I go to David's
0: for dinner and then I'm sloshed. There you know. go. <laughs> it comes That's with a side the- of cab. <laughs> Mary Frances, what's in your glass? You are a deeply wine centric human being. And so we- I love wine. Yeah, you know, it's it's
2: funny. Um I, I'm probably somewhere down the down the middle of these two. I'm also always the cook and um, you know, I I love having a glass of wine, but when I can pay attention to it. Um I'm not a huge fan of uh kind of the cook's drink, so to speak. I'd rather wait until I'm done and, and can sit down and really enjoy it. But um to that end, my I, if I'm outside smoking the turkey, that's another story. <laughs> um, when I'm outside, it's it's sort of almost a different mindset. You know, you're already always talking to somebody, and and if you're making this turkey, you don't really need to do much. So you can just ha- use it as an excuse to hang outside. And um, I kind of have two game plans on Thanksgiving, typically. The first is I'm, I'm a big fan of like, uh, at the farmer's market or at a great produce market, getting fresh pressed cider mm. and, uh, spiking it with a little bit of bourbon, not too much, but just enough. So it kind of stiffens up and then, um, and, and that's, uh, like serving that nice and cold as opposed to a hot cider. Um, and that's really nice on a kind of, you know, raw, cool outdoor. I, I live in the South, so the weather's never that cold, but it, it can be kind of raw. Um, and then with dinner, I'm a huge fan of Gewürztraminer and Riesling. And these white wines are very aromatic, very food friendly and high acid, but they both typically to be they both are typically relatively low in alcohol. And so usually you're looking at about 11 or 12%. And so you can sip a few glasses through the meal. The wine pairs really well with the food, but you still feel okay and you're able to slice those pies evenly into uh <laughs> Uh, you know portions after dinner,
4: <laughs> Mr. Miller. What's in your glass? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, right now, I feel like I want to have a nice bubbly glass of Pet Nat um, at mm. Thanksgiving. I've been um, usually just a bubble fan because there's nothing more celebratory for me. And especially, I'm like Mary Francis. I don't really like to to drink as I cook, and like I said, unless I'm grilling. But um, you know that the hustle of Thanksgiving day, um, and you're kind of like getting things in the oven and then like you dash off to take a shower before company comes that like hot minute before you start to entertain, but cooking is mostly done. That's such a great time for me to have a glass of bubbly and just be like, all right, we're, we're, we're getting into presentation mode. So that's nice. Um, another thing, and not to, you know, pitch another one of my recipes, but there, there actually did have a punch recipe. Um, in bowl service, it's a sparkling cranberry ginger punch. Um, and that's more, it's such a good family thing. Um, I actually, I made this for my mother last Christmas. She, uh, she's not a big, like my family's not a big boozy family, but um, she loves the idea of, she likes to think that she's drinking without really drinking because she grew up drinking. <laughs> so she likes to be bad, but she has to be good while she's being bad. So this was like, it's you know it's majority cranberry juice and and ginger ale and then you can spike it with um champagne and then a little bit of bourbon if you want um and so like you can kind of put the bar out and set it so mom can have her her low out her low low abv punch um and then we can spike it with a little uh, a fun just to make it uh, more appropriate for us so kind of like a choose your own adventure punch <laughs>
0: i love a punch so so much and uh over the years of uh, whiskey sours have been the things uh, uh, that's been the thing i bring to thanksgiving dinner uh most of the time and my sort of secret stealth thing is i make it with jack daniels and then to bring it over i pour everything back into the jack daniels bottle and sometimes i have a couple of bottles and that is just such a perfect thing because otherwise you're stressing about like how do i bring along this mm-hmm. drink and yeah and just pour it back in the bottle and that uh Tends to work, uh, really pretty well, and you know, and that's actually when I was sort of nervously first eating with uh, my husband's family on holiday meals. I, you know, it's it's so it's you know they're very incredibly welcoming people, but it's really hard to enter somebody else's family and they have all their traditions and and all this, and then you know you're part of the family now too, bringing in your own thing, and I realized the first year that I was there for Christmas, I was making glug cause I had always kind of made glug and my mother-in-law was not a fan of, of this. And I thought, well, okay, what does she like? I realized she likes whiskey sours. And that became my job in the family every year because it's peak citrus season. I make Clementine whiskey sours and Ooh. yeah. And it, became a thing i get there and they're like auntie cat (laughs) where when are you doing the whiskey sours and uh when i say auntie cat my nieces and nephews are in their 30s and 40s my husband is much younger than his siblings so i'm not just getting kids sloshed um Though I have actually, they want a task, they love cooking, and now they help me squeeze the fruit for it. So that's actually a really lovely thing. And my other thing that I have had to drink is uh, my wonderful nephew uh, is out there by the turkey fryer sometimes, and he will pass around a jar of moonshine (laughs) as we're standing around the turkey fryer. And that is kind of my favorite uh, drink for this. But I want to get to... um, that moment of somebody comes to your table, you have the menu planned. I mean, people aren't going to be showing up at each other's tables so much this year, but you have the menu planned. Uh, how do you introduce that new dish? How do you let somebody new in the group know that they are welcome to bring this thing, that their tradition is just as important and you're not hidebound uh, to you know what you're doing? How do you, how do you open that door? Because it's not always easy.
1: I'm a pretty firm believer in putting a lot of family style dishes on the table and that way it's perfectly acceptable to have any number of different things anything anybody brings fine by me now if somebody brings a kind of mashed potatoes and i've already made mashed potatoes i will put both of them out
0: yeah i think that's the kind because you I, you do run into those hosts who sometimes who are like this is my menu and it's not going to change and and that's this isn't
1: how... And I'm really... At other times, but not on Thanksgiving. Yeah.
0: It really is a, like a group holiday. It, it's amazing too. Like once families yep. start coming together, the things that, uh, kind of come out of those and mash together and become a, a thing and take on a life of their own. It's, it's just a really, really special thing to me. Do you, any well, of you other have a, have a notion about that or things that have been incorporated as you've, you know, blended families or, you know, had to negotiate, uh, you know, sort of the presence at somebody else's family's house? Can I Can oh, I share? Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: so about eight years ago, I celebrated my first Thanksgiving with my now wife. And that was the first time that we had a vegetarian Thanksgiving. Because she doesn't eat meat. Mm-hmm. How'd that go? <laughs> well, you know what it takes is some adaptation because you still are going to have folks at the table who who are looking for turkey, but more than turkey, gravy. And yes. gravy yes. is the linchpin to the meal. I think we can all agree on that. Oh, yeah. Yep. Without a doubt. So, yeah. So coming up with a really robustly flavored vegetarian gravy, and then um, I still made a turkey and I made turkey gravy, but I... That's, that was the first year that I omitted all, um, you know, bacon, turkey broth, um, or like maybe a ham hock or something from all of the side dishes. And so the only things on the table that you could reliably, like that were meat were, you know, you knew they were meat because they were, a, it was a turkey. <laughs> and so <laughs> there's no <laughs> hidden meat anywhere in the meal. Um, and so we, you know, have kind of carried on that tradition. And, and to Kelsey's point about that wonderful vegan babka, It is an act of hospitality to offer dishes that everyone can enjoy on a shared table. And I think that that is uh, one of the key factors about what you decide to serve um, and just making sure that everyone feels welcome to Um, celebrate with the meal.
0: Yeah, I've been that vegetarian at the table. I was a vegetarian for seven years and I was made to feel like I was an intrusion or a difficulty or something somehow. And I never, ever want to feel like that again or make anybody uh, feel that way. It's just why, why have somebody at your house if you're going to not make them feel great? Um, I also don't, um, maybe in the mi- minority here, I don't like the term Friendsgiving because to me that feels like something other than Thanksgiving. And my Thanksgiving in my adult life has always been with friends. This is just how I celebrate it. I believe very, very much in a chosen family. It's It's a thing that is tremendously important to me. And because we can't, Sort of be all at tables this year. How are how are you doing it? What is what is the makeup of your? thing? Maybe you haven't even planned this far in advance. In advance, but like, what does that look like uh, to you this year? Because I know I keep talking about family, but family means a whole lot of different things to me. And for some reason, like you know, uh, a lot of Christmases and things have been with blood family. Um, Thanksgiving is very much chosen. What is this looking like for you this year?
3: You know, I want to give a. A specific shout out to Google Docs. Um, as someone who has kind of moved around the country and and lived in a few places, um, chosen family has always been really important when it comes to gathering and celebration. And um, one of my uh, first Thanksgivings, kind of cooking with with friends and those those chosen gathered people there were a number of allergies and dietary restrictions. And and we all used the glorious Google Docs. And everyone noted the recipes they were making, the allergies they had, the preferences they had. So not every dish fit every person, but every person had enough for a meal. Um, and we're kind of bringing that forward this year in a virtual gathering of sharing recipes that we're all making, whether it's something we've created ourselves, um, clippings from a magazine that your great, great grandmother made whatever it is so we're all going to gather virtually and cook meals um with overlapping dishes so we feel like we're sharing a meal even if we're not physically sharing a meal um i'm really looking forward to it and it's going to be a little strange and a little funny um but aren't all thanksgivings
0: (laughs) (laughs) i mean speaking of uh Actually, I've I realized that we've, we've run way over time, um, but I want each one of you to share your biggest Thanksgiving horror story that has happened.
1: Okay, I'll jump in. <laughs>
0: Why did I suspect it would be you, David?
1: <laughs> because this is a horror story. Um, Charlie and I were living in Brooklyn, and a lot of our dear friends were out of town uh, doing. Plays. So Charlie invited two people that I didn't know at all. And I was fine with this. It was it was Thanksgiving. They didn't have a place to go. I was fine with it, but I really didn't know them. The day before Thanksgiving, a family member of Charlie's died, and he left to go to the funeral. So I had Thanksgiving with two. Total strangers in my little apartment in Brooklyn. My God! So it's not a horror story, but oh my God, was it a horror? They were very sweet, but none of us knew each other, and really didn't want to be in the same room because we didn't know each other. Oh my God! How did? Yeah, it was. It was yeah.
0: How did it turn? Not fun. Oh God! <laughs> but the thing is, I know you, and I know you made them feel totally welcome. That's just who you are.
1: I tried. I don't know if I did, but I tried. <laughs> Kelsey,
3: how about you? Okay, I I have to preface this story by saying I love my sister more than anything in the world, and she is incredibly dear to me. Um, and by far, the the holiday horror. Uh, cooking horror story of my life is Thanksgiving two years ago. Um, my wonderful sister and her partner live in London, and I made plans to visit them for Thanksgiving. Um, and I cook Thanksgiving a few times working in food media. We we cook a lot of turkeys. We do it out of season, but I get my fill. Uh, so I was planning on arriving Thanksgiving Day, and we were going to go to a pub and kind of celebrate by being together, but not really cook the big meal. I take an overnight red-eye flight, land at 9 a.m., and around 2 p.m., I hear, I guess we should go buy the turkey. (gasps) My ears perk. Confusion abounds. They had invited eight people over, planned on uh, personal chef Kelsey to whip up a little, you know, quick Thanksgiving, a famously fast-cooking meal. (laughs) So we... We go to the Sainsbury's to go, which um, I would say is like a well-stocked 7-Eleven. Uh, I get some bags of carrots and celery. We get a turkey somehow. I go back to their apartment. When I say there's no knives or cutting boards, I mean there were no knives or cutting boards in the entire apartment. <laughs> I, I broke some vegetables with my hands, made a little um, roasting rack for the turkey, made some ravioli, steamed some broccoli. Uh, we all ate together, laughed together, drank more wine than usual, and it happened, but I was I was crying with laughter and jet lag uh, at the empty kitchen. Oh
0: my God Kelsey. I like every muscle in my body clenched up. When you...
3: <laughs> <laughs> there were no pots or pans. I used the, the rack from the oven to hold the turkey like I cooked in the oven by by touching the oven it was it was hilarious I broke every rule and uh and it came together
0: <laughs> oh my god <laughs> I that I'm gonna have a nightmare about that tonight that is yes Mary Francis, you are up tell us horror
2: okay oh my gosh so um this is a really good question uh uh 10 or 11 years ago, I was living in New York and I was staying with my aunt while I was um, starting a new job and trying to look for an apartment. And it was in the fall. And so I was saying, you know, let's have my folks out and we'll, we'll all do Thanksgiving together. And there, she was so generous to have me. And I just wanted to repay that with like a really great Thanksgiving meal that no one else had to, you know, lift a finger to do. So we, we went out to a a house out in, um, sort of out in the country in Pennsylvania so that there's enough space for everyone to to visit. And um, I had brought a lot of prepared, like semi-prepared casseroles and, you know, things were sort of half cooked. The turkey was in brine and things like that. So we just were going to drive out, kind of cook everything, finish everything in the oven and then serve the dinner. And we were in this country house and the oven died. Oh no. And so I had loaded it up with, um, I had decided to grill the turkey. It was the first time I ever grilled a spatchcock turkey. Thank God. Um, I was doing it in a fireplace though. It was not a proper grill. It was just sort of one of those open metal fire pits that you can buy like at Home Depot. Um, And then, so I've got the turkey going and then I, you know, it was some branches that I'd found on the property. And then I come inside to check and the oven is like at 75 degrees. And so I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And so we ended up um, like scooping everything into pots and pans and just like heating it by stirring it on the stove, you know, until everything was heated through and ate at like nine or 10 o'clock at night. And it was just it was one of those things, though, where we were all kind of in it together by the end and everyone else had to help. (laughs) It definitely did not have my expectations of a, you know, perfectly executed meal, but it was. Definitely one of the most memorable oh ones. Oh my
0: gosh! <laughs> Y'all are making me so scared. I'm going to check every oven. I'm going to do all of
4: that. <laughs> Josh Miller, take us home. I'll try my best. Well, so not trying to be this guy, but like my family's thanksgivings are usually like pretty tame. I mean, my my mother was is is a great cook. My grandmother, her mother, was a fantastic cook. So there was really not a lot of like catastrophes. Um, but when we would go see my dad's family, um, the story was completely different. Like, also no catastrophes. But my grandmother on my dad's side was definitely not as into cooking as my mom's mother was. So uh, I think it was the first. Uh, it was the first Thanksgiving that we were there, and all of my cousins' husbands had come in, and these are like big burly guys, like hunters, like rural Alabama, um, and they're like piling their plates with all of the dishes, like the stuffing and the turkey and the, all of the things, macaroni and cheese, all of the Thanksgiving sides. And my sister and I are hanging back like just watching them pile their plates. We're like, Ooh, they are going to regret that. This is not going to go well because uh, we're like getting a roll and like anything store bought. Cause my grandmother just bless her heart, lovely woman, not a great cook. And so we sit down at the kid's table, which, you know, we're all in our twenties at this point, And these big burly guys just like start tearing into this, these gigantic plates of food. And they look at us and they're like, Oh, man, we're like, ha ha, told you, we knew this was going to go this way. So, bless it, they were good sports, but um yeah, it's, uh, it was not the best food at my, my grandmother's house.
0: Oh, gosh. You know what, if I I have full confidence that if y'all were anywhere near a Thanksgiving, it would be the best Thanksgiving ever. And I wish everybody uh, who's listening to this could virtually celebrate with us. And you can do that by... Getting this beautiful issue of food and wine with this gorgeous, gorgeous gratin in here. And I just, um, you know, from from my apartment here in Brooklyn, I am raising a glass to all of you. And, you know, just wishing for the time when I get to be around a table with all of you again. Thank you so, so much for for being my guest today.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Kat.
0: Thank you. I am so lucky to get to have the counsel and company of that incredible food team. Uh, we're not getting to see each other in person these days, but I, uh, each one of these good humans, has uh, meant so much to me in uh, in the past while. And I'm so glad that you get to hear their voices as well, get to understand some of the people who are behind these recipes and these stories that you see in Food & Wine. I mean, David McCann, Kelsey Youngman, Josh Miller, and the amazing Mary Frances Heck are um, you know some of the, the rigorous, fantastic uh, human beings who make sure that every single recipe that goes into the magazine, is carefully uh, constructed highly cookable that you can make these things at home They, as you've heard they test these things a gazillion times and they're forever out there looking for uh, new voices to highlight new ways to look at things and this all ends up in beautiful food on our plates and I am so grateful for their company and for the council and you know we're at a really strange point in the year. Um, No one ever expected that in Thanksgiving 2020 would look like it is going to. uh, It's going to be so different than past years. And I know that this is a time when usually we sit around the table together, count our blessings, and look at, you know, just the, the great things from the past year. And it might feel like they're really... a whole lot of things to celebrate. Um, But hopefully you will be able to, you know, whether you are lucky enough to be with with some people, or even if you're by yourself, I hope you are able to find a small moment of grace and nourishment and and just take that and there is a better future ahead. I have to believe that. And, you know, I, I, I have to believe that our very dark times right now are going to come to an end, and we will be able to gather around that table. And I'm so glad we got to virtually do some of that uh, today and share it with you. If you haven't, by this point, gotten the November 2020 issue of Food and Wine, I highly encourage you to do so while it is still on the newsstands. And you know, if you subscribe it just shows up right there in your mailbox or your mail slot or whatever, however it is that you get your mail. And um, these recipes are also all online on foodandwine.com. And we will share uh, the links to that in the show notes, along with a link to Food and Wine Pro. This podcast is part of Food and Wine Pro. And we have always cared very fundamentally and deeply about the people who actually get the food to your plate the chefs the purveyors the farmers the the bartenders the everyone who is part of this food chain um and especially those who have been suffering a lot this year because of uh what's going on uh with the pandemic um our hearts are with you and i really really hope that uh you know you're getting some sustenance yourself today we celebrate you we have your backs and um, Food & Wine Pro is trying to tell these stories and really put a human face on what is going on in the world. You can go to foodandwine.com slash fwpro, and there you can also sign up for the pro newsletter. So you never have to worry about where these stories are, they just show up in your inbox on Fridays with accompanying letters by our enter- our editor-in-chief, Hunter Lewis, uh, who is, you know really his it's his mission in life to really celebrate this culture and he's a heck of a good cook himself try out his gravy in this issue it is just glorious like he never plays up the fact that he used to be a restaurant chef but yeah (laughs) good lawn cook uh and he, he knows what he's talking about so and you also got to hear oh my gosh Kelsey Youngman. I say her name every week on this podcast and talk about these mantras that she brings to us. And now you got a little extra taste of why we love this woman. These mantras that we share in the newsletter uh, are what she shares with our team every Monday morning during our meeting. And it really sets the tone for the week. So if you sign up for the newsletter, all this stuff, it just comes right to you. And it is a very good and positive thing I also want to give a shout out to Antara Sinha, who is our producer. And she is just, uh, what a godsend she is. If I'm counting my blessings, I am grateful for Antara on a weekly, if not minutely, (laughs) is that a word, Uh, business because she cares so much. And uh, she brings this this podcast to you every week. And thank you so much, Antara, and to the whole food and wine team. Again, I, I know it might be a little a little hard to count your blessings right now, but I am grateful for each and every one of you who is listening to this podcast. And I want to tell you, as I always do, take good care of yourself until the next time.